G'day, my name's Chris Anderson, and I'm sitting down today for another episode of the Ando & Co podcast with a mate of mine from Beers With Mates called Paul. Now, uh, Paul, I know we've caught up a few times at Beers With Mates previously, and we've had a pretty good catch-up prior to this podcast, but um, what can you tell me about yourself? Yeah, g'day, Chris. Um, yes, as I said, I joined Meetup three and a half years ago. Um, and uh, met you through beers with mates, and you always struck me as a, a really decent young bloke. And Thank uh, you. Meetup was one of those um, great places to actually go to where after um, coming out of a, a 34-year marriage and trying to reboot your life again, social life again, after having a very full corporate uh, uh, entertaining life and lots of things that went with that. It was great to be able to go somewhere and meet lots of new people and no one knew who the hell you were. Yeah. And go there as a complete stranger. <clears throat> yeah, and just say up front, not here for a relationship, not here for a date, just want to have a beer, mate, yeah. So if you want to have a drink and a dance, I'm your man. Otherwise, anything more than that, not interested. Yeah, yeah. and it is a nice thing to be able to show up however it is you want to show up because no one knows you in that situation. Yeah. And no one second guesses you as to whether you're showing up differently to how you might be otherwise. Mm -hmm. You're just there to meet some people and have a good time. Yeah. And you meet some really wonderful people. The great thing about with with any of the meet-up things and even with beers and mates, you know, there's a lot of different people there and everyone's at a different stage in their life journey. Um, some of them have got very interesting stories along the way. Some are stories you probably don't want to ever hear again. But yeah. at the end of the day, <clears throat> as I said to you, I think my, my motto in life has always been respectful and treat other people the way you want to be, be treated yourself. And um, at the end of the day, they don't have to be your best friend. You know, it's all about just giving someone the time of day. And by giving someone the time of day, you might not understand what an impact and what a difference you can actually make in their life and how just a little what I call random act of kindness mm -hmm. can, can change someone's day, especially if they're having a pretty shitty day or a shitty week or a shitty month or a shitty year. Yeah. And um, I know we haven't gone into it yet, but you've spent quite a lot of your career in sales. Yeah. <laughs> how, how much of sales is actually just giving someone a bit of a cheer up and a pat, pat on the back some days? Um. Well, I've managed. So I've been. I've been state manager of um, three businesses along the way. Um, I've been a corporate contracts manager for nearly twenty-five years, and during that time, you get to meet lots of different personalities along the way. Yeah. Um, you meet some people that are really great people and great to work with. You meet some other people that, as I said to you, you wouldn't give the time of day, but at the end of the day, they're a customer. Yeah. And you're out there. You've got to get the sale. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. And you have to sort of put your put the personality aside and put your own feelings aside to get the best outcome for the business. And that's only if you're invested in the business. Yeah. And all those businesses that I've been in, I've been invested in 100%. Yeah. Get in or get out's always been my motto. Yeah. Awesome. Well, look, as I mentioned prior to us starting here, my goal here is to tell a bit of a story. So if you were to start at some point in your story and it could be wherever you like... Where would you like to start? Yeah. yeah, I grew up in the suburbs of Sydney, yeah, a lot, hell of a long time ago. Grew up in a two-bedroom housing commission house, nothing flash. Mm -hmm. Went to a Morris Brothers school. Mm -hmm. Left school when I was um, 16, yeah, did an apprenticeship, so sparky by trade. 
grew up in Sydney, spent another year and a half in Sydney and then couldn't wait to get out of the joint. Awesome. <laughs> and then spent the next uh, 10 years overseas. Amazing. Well, walk me through that. What did you do yeah. overseas? So <clears throat> backpacked around America by myself for four months. So I thought I was a tough kid out of Sydney. Yeah, back in the, those days, I went, the timeline <laughs> yeah, yeah. was was very late 70s. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, and I backpacked around America by myself, and that was a real eye-opener. i got to tell you, you think, yeah, you're tough and you're smart and all those sort of things, and rock up at downtown LA at 4 o'clock in the morning and see how tough and smart you are then. Yeah. <laughs> you let you soon really, yeah, you really... I said, I've been chased, I've been really stabbed. <laughs> and it's just, yeah, I mean, it's not, it's just you happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. But um, one of the things I've always tried to do is while you're there is don't make yourself, um, dare I say, the centre of attraction yeah. and try and sort of stay out, on, yeah, out of the spotlight and on the sidelines and don't put yourself, especially in those situations back then, yeah. Back, back in a, you know, to put yourself in a very difficult situation. Don't be too much of a smart ass, yeah. Because <laughs> there's a lots of people who will put you on your butt pretty quickly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you won't even see it coming. And I guess um, thinking back on those days, like obviously we've walked through some of the yeah. periods where um, it was not easy and you, and you sort of like put yourself in a difficult situation. Yeah. What about the good times of that four months? Yeah, look, that was, yeah, I've, some incredible things i can tell you some wonderful stories yep. <laughs> but uh, yeah i mean i got offered a, a, a job as a barman because when i grew up in sydney i used to I said i was an apprentice electrician but i also worked as a barman in a pub in sydney awesome for, for many years at night and weekends and always sort of worked two jobs along the way yeah but got a um <clears throat> got offered a job in new orleans um working on the mississippi queen that one of the paddle steamers back in the day yeah amazing just, and i thought oh my god this is my dream job i've got it anyway so the guy who i met at the bar the night before said oh yeah you'll be the right guy come down to the boat next morning and bring your gear and we'll get you on board so anyway rocked down to the boat that morning down at the port in new orleans and then um I, I, um, I saw there was all the, um, the immigration people were all there. There's all these cars with immigration and police all stamped on it. So what they were doing, they were going through going through the paddle wheel and um, pulling out all the illegal and all the illegal workers and all that sort of things. You go, like, get the hell out of here, mate, because you haven't got a, a blue card to work. Yeah, yeah so right. Did a right. Yeah, so. But that was one thing. Worked in Austin, Texas, yeah, for another mob um Digging swimming, uh, digging holes for swimming pools in ground swimming pools, and did yep. that for a while. But yeah, so spent four months in America. It was just a great time. Yeah, yeah. But blew a lot of money that I had saved up, and yeah, or too much, and then yeah, did a bit of a sprint up to New York, and then I'd had a ticket to go to the UK. So nice. from there went to London. Awesome. Yep. Um, got a job um, working on a Pommy summer camp. Okay. As a barman. Yeah, yeah. In a place called Celsi Bill. Did that for four, uh, six months. That was mm -hmm. great. Good fun. Did a 12-week Grand European camping tour. That was full of everything, as you can imagine, back yep. in those days as it was. Come back to London. Worked in London for a while. Shared a house with three other Kiwis. Got a job working for Otis Elevators. And met a lady and did some backpacking. And then we split up. And, yeah. I drove coaches around Europe in that time as well. Yeah, for a nice. company based in um, in Austria, driving down to Switzerland and into the old Yugoslavia, and that was a great hoot. Yeah, and um, yeah, came back to London, did a runner from a pub, uh, sorry, from a restaurant with uh, fourteen other blokes as you do, and yep. stupidly ran straight into a police car, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> 
oh god and and the, the other 14 blokes never had any idea where i was so i ended up getting carted away all that money i'd saved from bus driving i was going to do an encounter overland at the time yeah which is one of the, the trips in one of the old army trucks through africa mm-hmm. but my uh, fine was 300 quid for doing the run around of the restaurant and a 320 quid food bill so there was all my money gone so i came back to australia yeah yeah, and then yeah, went to South Africa and spent seven years living in South Africa. Wow. How was South Africa that time? Yeah, great. Well, the lady that I'd met at the time, you know, and we sort of got together and then split up. She was South African. Went back to South Africa. So that was, yeah, um, 81 through to 87. So that was still the apartheid regime and all that sort of thing. And that's when I made the decision after working um, on the tools as an electrician. And uh, I can't do this anymore. And I got a sales job working in an electrical wholesaler. Yeah, so, sure. and he says get a job there, and um, yeah, it's been a, a couple of years, and then then we were taken over by a big multinational, and got a uh, just stayed on that job, and yeah, end up getting married a couple of years later. And that was about th- after being in South Africa for three years, got married, and then another two years later, we had our first son, mm-hmm. so he was born in in Durban, mm-hmm. yeah, and that was um, now eighty seven, and that's when the things were just getting really really bad in South Africa, yeah with the um, end of the apartheid regime coming, or looming. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, we got out of there, come back to Sydney, spent seven months in Sydney, back living there again and realised, yeah, that I left South Africa with a wife, a baby, and three grand in my pocket because the, the, the exchange rate was nothing and you couldn't get stuff out of Africa either. I'm like, yeah. So we moved to Queensland. Yep. Yeah, and cool. then got a job working sales as well in the electrical industry, and I've been in that, yes, for the last 30-odd years been great electrical industries are great been in sales all that time and management yeah and just thinking back on those early days in sales in south africa mm. do you remember what it was like in your first year in sales yeah i do yeah <clears throat> i mean it was we used i learned really quickly we were on 700 rand a month plus mm-hmm. commission mm-hmm. so i had a company car which was an old Toyota Corona. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dad had, well, mum and dad had one of those. Yeah. Yeah. But I can tell you what, when you learn to, you know, on such a low base salary um, that you got to sell and your, uh, the profit was, uh, sorry, the, um, your bonus was paid on profit. So it's not on sales. Yep. You learn really quickly. You know, you don't have to sell a million bucks a month of gear. You can, and make 2% on it. Yeah. You know, if you can sell, Three three hundred grand's worth and make thirty percent on it. You're much better off. Yeah. yeah, right. And I learned that lesson very very early in so life. Yeah. The the salesperson is actually aligned with the business outcome. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So I I got given all the crap accounts that no one else wanted, of course, because mm-hmm. I was the, the new bloke, the Aussie. But uh, yep. yeah, just go. And I think I think I was a novelty act for them because back in in the, those eighties, Australians never went to South Africa. Yeah. It was always the other way around. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. South Africans were too busy coming here. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, but no, it was great. I loved it. I absolutely loved that time there. Yeah. You know, met a lot of lovely people. Look, there were a lot of things that were wrong with the system and all that, mm-hmm. but you know, it's not. It's it's easy to make um, judgments yeah. about the way things are and the way they were. There was a lot of injustice and inequality and all those sort of things along. But I don't think the outcomes of where they are now have delivered what people had somewhat expected. Yeah. Anyway, that's another discussion for another day. Yeah, that's all right, and and. Obviously, you start out over there and you're starting in sales and you're, you're making sure that you can make some money based on mm. profits. Yep. How does it change when you come to Australia? Well, again, I had a, I had a, a BMW yeah, yep. car in South Africa. 
we just bought a brand new townhouse, so it was yep. lovely. Yeah, I said, and then my son came along, and we had a pretty horrible experience. My wife worked in an international travel uh, house, so okay. she did business travel. Yep. Um, and she was six months pregnant at the time, and that she worked in the centre of Durban. And long again, a long story short, they were up on the first floor above a very um, busy department store, like similar to like a, a, a Kmart. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and a security guy came running upstairs and told all the women, like there were fourteen of them in the building in that in that area, get out, get out, get out. There's a bomb. So all the women just dropped what they were doing, got outstairs, got into the fire stairs, and literally the bomb went off in the laneway next to them and blew all the glass in and all their windows. Wow. Which probably would have, yeah. And she, she was six months, nearly six, seven months pregnant with my, uh, with my oldest son at that time. And that's when we went, oh, my God, we've got to get the hell out of here. Yeah, fair enough. And trying to sell property in that time as well wasn't easy. So we ended up selling it at a 10 grand loss and drove the BMW up to the airport and gave the keys to my best mate and he took over the car payments. And by the time we t- it took us a year to get our furniture out of there, <laughs> so as I said, I'll, I left there with a wife, a baby and three grand in my pocket. <laughs> yeah, back, you- back to Sydney town, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And so you got back to Sydney and what, it just didn't feel like home? Oh, I think, yeah, and back in those days, again, back in Sydney, it was just too expensive, you know, yeah. c- coming back there. I got a, a reasonable job back yeah. in, as a sales guy in, a, in a, um, uh, an industrial automation company. So the money wasn't too bad, but it was just rent and everything else, unless you went way out to live, which didn't yeah, work because yeah. my ex-wife didn't, uh, didn't drive back then. And, yeah. yes, we needed to be close to town and all that sort of thing so after 10 months here realized that we were going backwards so we made that decision to move to queensland straight never look back straight to brisbane which suburb yeah i did actually we, we well we moved we spent our first couple of months living at the colonial caravan park up on zilmere road yeah right <laughs> nice in a caravan because yeah, yeah. you could you couldn't find a rental property you know at the time so yeah what, because there was just no rental yeah, properties Yeah, well, that, was, that was um, Expo 88, the end of Expo oh, 88, and all that time, and Brisbane gotcha. was just going off. Yeah. yeah. Big time. So we ended up getting some friends of ours that we knew lived over in the Redlands. Yep. So we ended up moving into a house over in um, Birkdale mm-hmm. that the tenants had been evicted from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was a bit of a mess. And took it up, signed the lease at 10 o'clock at night, you know, in, in the dark, and went back the next day and went, holy hell. But anyway... But I had a job and it was a reasonable job at the time. That was going pretty well for me. So a year later, we put a deposit on a block of land and built our first house. Amazing. Also close to the Redlands? or Yeah, yeah. So that was in Capalabar. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, built a house there. In a couple of years, I was going really well with work. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, got made state um, state manager at that time. And What, within a couple of years, state manager? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, within, I spent uh, 10 years with that company. Yeah. After five years, they made me state manager, yeah. And what had you been doing well, do you think, at that point for them to make you state manager? Um, I've, I've always, you know, uh, being a sparky by trade, being a tradie, I've sort of always come, I've had a bit of a business head. Yeah. But, and I think also working in pubs and all that sort of thing along the way, you know. And uh, like I said, one of my pet hates and probably going to upset a few people i hate smokers fair enough <laughs> but back in the day you know smokers and all that sort of things so you'd have to clean up ashtrays and yep. yeah um non-smokers were the minority yeah and might just harden up and get on with it do you know it's funny my my first ever sales job in canada in toronto i remember someone saying i've never seen a smoker make it in this role 
Yeah. I don't know, I don't really know mm. what it is. I don't know if it's something that says something about a smoker yeah. or that people didn't like being around a smoker that yeah. smelled like smokes or whatever it was. But I just remember them saying, I've never seen a smoker make it in this role. Yeah. In a in a sales job selling yeah. financial products in yeah. Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's just yeah, so bear in mind I was always selling into, into a trade market. Yeah. So tradies are somewhat different. Yeah, exactly. But, but also then also dealing with like uh, people in supply, like procurement people and all that sort of thing. And yeah, yeah, and, and being in that role. But that ten years was with a technical product company. So yeah, we're selling uh, motor control products. Yeah, so it was specifically to end users, large industrial end users. Yeah, and obviously start out in the in South Africa, come back here. Mm doing your sales, do your sales for five years. Mm. What was it like to get to a position where you start managing people as a salesperson? Yeah, it's. Um, I think there was a bit of resentment at the time. From, yeah, from, from them? From, from them, yeah. Really? Because like I'm the new kid, well, I'm the last one in. Yeah, and yeah. And now I'm running the team. Yeah, <laughs> because you were doing a good job previously. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but I also, as I said, I've always been, I've always said to pretty well everyone that I've worked with you know if um, I like being hands on yeah I like being at the coal face yep and I never ask anyone to do anything that I wouldn't do myself yeah and you know I understand that you know we have our downtime and all that sort of thing and you know try and make time for those little things that pop up along the way Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day you know it's about also getting the job done and uh, if the job can't be done nine to five and it goes to nine to seven or eight as long as it's not every day of the week then you, you put in when it is and then if friday comes and you say i'm um, busy can i have a day off on friday to have an extra long weekend yeah go for it yeah so i always try and be flexible in what i do that's it's difficult in some organizations because some people will take advantage of that situation yeah but i think it's about trying to be consistent and equal in whatever you do and i think that's a big thing is just trying to be consistent and you mentioned that Maybe it started out with a little bit of resentment. Hmm. Did it take long for that to sort of subside? And, yeah, I, and I, I guess what would ha- what happened yeah. for the well, people to start respecting you as a as a great leader? Because we're actually growing. Our, yeah, bus- right. our business has grown. Yeah, we had two parts of the business. Yeah, and I was particularly focused on the part of the business that wasn't had had really bottom line or flat flatlined yep. for a number of years yep. and it was about moving it now and in, within that five years we um, increased our business by about 300% wow yeah, and we weren't the biggest in the market we were probably number four in the market yep. but we'd actually picked up a significant share from others and that was just that we were just such a small part of that market and they were so much bigger and so that was for for many salespeople. That was sort of like the not sexy part of the business yeah. that you decided to focus on. Yeah, yeah. But it was well, was it was better getting, margin or uh, that's that's what it was. It was component sales. Yeah. Rather than doing system sales. Yeah. So system sales. Oh, like yeah, we got a uh, half a million dollar switchboard and oh yeah, great and all this, and we're selling fifty, sixty, hundred, two hundred dollar components. Or five hundred dollar or thousand dollar components. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so to get to get that gig going, yeah, and it was also about relying on end user distributors mm-hmm. and get convincing, um, bringing just new distributors on board and getting them to hold stock locally, mm-hmm. and then actually training their sales their their salespeople to come to your product first rather than the opposition. 
So a lot of it was doing product training after hours. Yeah. Yeah, taking in a carton of beer and a pizza or yeah. a couple of packets of chips or whatever it took, you know, whatever yeah, the guys yeah. would want. Yeah. And then going out doing dual calls with their reps and things like that and actually showing the guys how to sell, you know. So you must have been doing a lot of training for the people who otherwise were not selling this product previously, yeah? Uh, I think it was, I just, we, we got paid an incentive back in the day, yeah. tw- 25 bucks to do an after-hours training program, So, yep. but you had to get a bit of paper and get all the attendees to sign the sheet. So when I was a rep, <clears throat> because I we just sort of were trying to build a new house, I, had a, I, had a, I was married, I had a big mortgage. Yep. If you remember that, it was back in the times when interest rates interest went up to rates, 18%. Yeah. So exactly. suck up people when you're yeah, complaining yeah. about your three, fours and fives now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and our salaries were nothing like they are now either. Um, yeah, I just, I had to take every opportunity to bring in extra money mm. to focus on, yeah, just trying to, to do that because it was, you know, I was early 30s at the time um, and I was just a long way behind where other people were who were already well established at that period in their life and I've sort of rocked up here at 30 and said I've got a wife, a baby and three grand and nothing else. So like, yeah. it, was, it was back in those days too, Chris, it was it was a different time. Things are very different now yeah. with younger people. Younger people have probably 10, maybe 15 different careers along their path because that's just the way the journey is. Yeah. Back then it was somewhat different. Yeah. Um, and, the, and the market was different too. Yeah, it's, it's very much sort of more, we are so much more a global business now yeah. <clears throat> rather than being a sort of very shielded business as we were in, the, in those sort of 80s and 90s, yeah. it, particularly in the business that I was involved in. Yeah, and moving from being a salesperson, having maybe a salary plus your commissions on mm. your sales, mm. moving to a sales manager where you probably get paid a portion of what other people sell or something along those lines yeah, based I'll, on gross profit. Yeah, Is that fair? I also, while I was managing a team of people, I also had to have my own sales. Sales, well. yeah. Cool. So it's yeah. like a double whammy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hang on. You, you, want, you want the captain's cap, but you still also got to be, a, a, a yeah, player. be an yeah. Indian as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, this is not a smooth gig, mate. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. And they, all they did was upgrade your car, so you got a nice car. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and a few extra bucks, but really, at the end of the day, it wasn't losing focus about what the job was. So that's what I sort of said to you about, you know, not asking other people. Um, you got to lead by example as yeah. a leader. Yeah. And I think that that I've always tried to hang on to that as a, an example of good leadership. Yeah. Yeah, it's just try and be an example in the right ways. Yeah, and so. You mentioned resentment coming into that role because maybe you hadn't been there that long. Mm. If you could put a time on it, how long did it take for them to realise that you were showing them exactly what they needed to do in that role to do well? I think after the first five years of being there, I took a, a, a pretty well small territory to probably the biggest, well, I'd say probably it was, became the biggest territory. Yep. Yep. Consistently, month on month. Wow. Others, others would be have their peaks yep. because again they were dealing with large mining companies and large sugar mills so they'd have really big peaks yep. and troughs yep. so they get a big project in or a shutdown they go through the roof but then it'd really bottom out mm-hmm. for the next couple of months whereas mine was just consistent growth on growth on growth on growth yeah 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 and again you know that's sort of with anyone in sales <clears throat> it's like that you, the last thing you want is 80 percent of your business Oh, sorry, yeah, 80% of your money generated from uh, 20% of your customers. Yeah. 
<laughs> but it sometimes always pans out that way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But God help you if anything happens to that 20%. Exactly. You are so exposed. Yeah, yeah. So what happens from there? Like it sounds like it's all going pretty well in that company. Yeah, well, I got um, at 40 years old, I got diagnosed with bowel cancer. Hmm. This yeah. is new to me. I didn't realize this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I was doing a lot of traveling at the time. I was going up into Papua New Guinea and places like that to remote mine sites. I just, the only symptoms I had was chronic tiredness. Yep. Um, we'd sold that first house that we built and yep. then we built another house. So that was number two and that was, and I was sparky by trade. So I did all the electrical in that house as well. So yeah, know, um, got that and we built that house and then we had uh, my... Um, Second son had come along in between that as well. And then we had a third one on, on the way, which was uh, my beautiful daughter. Mm-hmm. So after two, that was going to be it. But uh, the Immaculate Conception happened with my beautiful daughter. She came along in the natural Catholic family planning way. Wrong day, wrong week, wrong everything. And bingo, I've got a girl. Yeah, yeah wow. Yeah. And she was, she's gorgeous. Yeah, she's just most beautiful. Both my sons and my daughter. But I grew up with only having two brothers. Yeah. So having a daughter was, was a blessing. Yeah, and yeah. still is a blessing to this day and very, very special. Yeah. Yeah. And I think during that time, yeah, as I said, you just you, my life was so extremely busy with everything all the time. If it wasn't work, it was family and travelling. Yeah, I, I got bowel cancer and the only symptoms I had was chronic tiredness. And then I got really ill over Christmas and they went and did a blood test and they said, uh, holy God, get to hospital now. And at that time, we didn't even have private health cover. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you know, uh, from and was that uh, to be just put that yeah. in perspective? Was it normal at the time to have private health, or generally just people had public? <clears throat> well, if you could afford it, yeah, yeah. But with the family back then, and bearing in mind, yeah, probably in, at our stage in life, most forty-year-olds had private health cover. Yeah, but because of our financial situation, yeah, yeah, I had we had to do the balance between okay, paying mortgage and paying yep. kids and getting them into private school as well, which yeah, we did yeah. as well. So And not everyone puts their kids through private school. Yeah. Yeah. No, and that was always a priority for me. Yeah. You know, so um, and making sure that happened. So we put private health cover. And back then the private health system wasn't too bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, the public system wasn't too bad. Yeah. Unlike the pressure it's on now. But yeah. yeah. So I got bowel cancer and the only way they picked it up was a blood test. Mm. So they said, uh, yeah, you for a normal bloke your red blood cell count's supposed to be between about uh, thirteen and seventeen. Mine was down to four point eight. They were trying to work dead, work out why I hadn't dropped dead from a heart attack. <laughs> wow! So I went to a yeah emergency surgery shortly after that, and had a third of my bowel removed, and had chemotherapy. That was another interesting journey in itself. Yeah. So. Jeez. Yeah. So go through all that, and the kids were really young, and yeah, you know, and you just sort of move through it, and just sort of keep going, and. Um, Shortly after that, I came back to work. I had eight weeks off work with the cancer thing because I'd go through chemo and all that sort of thing. To be fair, eight weeks isn't that much for going through chemo. Yeah, well, and then what happened was the guy said to me, and I won't mention the hospital, it's a big hospital here in Brisbane. Yeah. The oncologist said to me at the time I had, um, I literally had uh, uh, five straight days of chemo. Mm -hmm. And then the next three weeks was just hell on earth. Yeah. I was just, just an absolute basket case yeah and my kids were only little at the time especially my daughter she was really affected because she was only about two at the time yeah um and um i went back to the oncologist and said um based on this he said oh you know we the plan was to get five treatments over six months Mm -hmm. 
And I said, mate, I really don't think I can do this. Go the next one forward. I just, I really, he said, why? He said, oh, oh yeah, Tyler might have gone. He said, yeah, you've had a pretty bad trot. I said, I really, I just don't think I can do this. And he said, oh, well, let's not worry about it then. And I said, mm-hmm. beg your pardon? He said, oh, no, let's not worry about it. What mm-hmm. do you mean I don't need to go? Yeah, he said, you're a young bloke, you're only 40. Um, we gave you a bit extra just to see how you'd go. What? True story, Chris. What, just to, just to you so, know, like if I punch you in the head harder yeah, than I'd usually punch you, yeah, see if you yeah, don't get knocked out. Yeah, that's an honest to God true story. Yeah, they said, he said to me, this is an oncologist. I said, oh, well, don't worry about it, you'd be right. Just get, keep going and um, getting your colonoscopies every couple of years and see how you go and we'll monitor it. So, so that was an incredible life lesson for me. And would it have made sense for you to go through the remaining ones or it didn't matter? It, it did. It did I, I, after what I'd been through, yeah, I'm, a, I'm, not, I'm not a bit of a wuss. I flat out taking a Panadol, you know, mm-hmm. like the, the old school medicine, mm-hmm. harden up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's worse. I think it's probably the opposite way, but, you know, it's your story to tell. Yeah, yeah. I like, yeah, for blokes, just harden up and get on with it, mate. Yeah, yeah. It's not. And just, um, you know, don't, you just come from the school of hard knocks. You just get on with life. I mean, that's what it is. But anyway, so that's what happened. And I went, okay. And out of that, I just went, I couldn't believe it. Anyway, so I was a bit nervous for the first couple of years, I must admit. Whether it was going to come back or not. Yeah, reasonably. Um, yeah, because <clears throat> yeah. I had a third of my bowel removed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been clear now for, yeah, over 20 years now. And, and you had the eight weeks off. Yeah. Were you a sales manager at the time in a yeah, new yeah, role? Yeah, or? I was a state manager. <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah, at that time. So I went back to work. And shortly after that, the guy that I, um, who was our managing director, who was super supportive of me and just everything else, mm-hmm. uh, they come in and pushed him out. Mm-hmm. And they bought a a, a, a German because it was a German company. Yeah, bought a German in from overseas, and that would have been fun. Yep. And first thing he said, "Oh, all you blokes, you everyone's going to work from home. Uh, we're going to close the state office and we're going to move everything back to Melbourne." I went costs. Yep. I'm going like I ain't working from home. <laughs> no way was I going to work from home. Oh no, you guys will be all right. I said, "Well, guess what, mate? Here's my resignation." Yeah. I'd been there nine years and 11 months. Yeah. And he said, you haven't been here 12 years. We're not going to pay you. Oh, sorry, you hadn't been here 10 years. We're not going to pay you long service. I don't care. I don't want. If you if you think we're all going to work from home and this is going to be a successful business by doing this, I don't want to be part of this. Yeah, yeah. So I left. They paid me my long service leave. Okay. And within two years, that business was decimated. Really? Decimated. So just... We're just going to jump forward a little yeah. bit. There's all these businesses starting to work from home. Mm. Obviously, people are a bit more used to working yeah, from now, home. Yeah. What What would it have meant at that time to all be working from home as a, in a sales business? Yeah. I th- the other thing is about because uh, in our business, it's about having inventory locally. Yep. And because it's an industrial product, people generally need that in- industrial product like now. Yeah. Yeah. For a breakdown. Yeah. Yeah. People don't like keeping lots of spare parts and things like that, so they're prepared to wait overnight or the next day, which we could do. And logistics back then also wasn't as smooth yeah. as it is now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, and it was just, yeah, said the business was decimated in two years. Did he, just out of interest, yeah. 
Did he give you in some insight as to whether that worked well in Germany? Yep, yeah, that's what the business has done. They come from um, for, he'd been involved in that transition in Europe mm. about centralising, yeah, going to central warehouse things, and it's very much big in European. It'll work in Europe because the di- the uh, distances, distances between businesses yeah. aren't aren't big. They're not here. They don't get. You know, it's like, oh, let's go to the mines, yeah, mate. Well, which mine do you want to go to and how much time have you got, you know? Yeah, yeah. We get these engineers that come out from Germany. I oh, take us up to central Queensland. Okay, how long's you here for? I'm oh, here for two days. I'm going like, mate, you arrive in Brisbane. <laughs> and it was just yeah, just a lack of understanding of how big it was. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe they just, that's the way they go. They don't want to acknowledge it. They go like, yeah, you know, just do what they do. But... A lot of you know, a lot of businesses have failed out of that, but the businesses that have gone forward and done strong uh, have, have moved from strength to strength. Mm. Have uh, it's all a lot of it has been about presence. Yeah, but now that also is changing in this new world market. You look at the way, yeah, you know, the big guys like Amazon and all that sort of thing go mm-hmm. now. You can order anything overnight. Yeah, and get a great service from all online businesses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The interesting thing too is if you're if you're in business or if you've been a salesperson, or if you've done whatever, and you've never lost, you don't think you can lose. Do you know, like there's a there's this sense of like, if everything's just been going from strength to strength the whole time in Germany, mm. you think that you're going to come to Australia and you're going to be God's gift to this business. Do you know? And And so you actually have this weird sense that like nothing can go wrong. Yeah. And obviously... They learned, yeah. and probably you realised initially that this yeah. likely isn't going to work out, and, and it took me it took them a couple of years to work out that yeah. you were probably right. That business has now been sold yeah. to an American company. It's been absorbed into it, mm-hmm. and they had a great product, still have a good product, yeah. but just that's what yeah they the business was just decimated. Yeah, you know, and it's just you just don't recover after that. Yeah, and yeah, um, and again, the market has changed a lot in that time. Mm-hmm. Um, we were cutting edge with some of the products that we had at that time. Yeah, and it was educating the market that this was a good thing to go to. Yeah, and we were able to do that. We were able to do that very successfully. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So as a small business, we really punched above our weight, mm-hmm. but it was also done on the back of no, product knowledge. Being able to do a lot of training with customers, and that's yeah, and then building confidence in those customers that the product that we had was the right solution for them, getting them yeah uh, to get that first you know um, samples or prototypes on on site to get them to use it, yeah, and then giving the support afterwards, yeah. And I guess like it's it's easy for me to say I'm a salesperson and I've never managed salespeople, hmm. but. If there's salespeople that are managing, let's say, 100 accounts Mm. across a city and there's eight of the 10 salespeople that aren't particularly happy, how does that affect the business? In what what regard aren't they happy with the Just like, let's say, let's say, let's say that I'm working in a business right now, company A. Yep. And I've got a new manager that comes in and says, mate, you're going to be working from home. Yep. And I'm a little bit unhappy about it. Mm. I'll still need to go and call on all my clients. Mm. But when I call on those clients, I'm like 60% of what I would usually be. Mm. And I'm actually having to run training sessions out at the client's mm. site. 
at 60% of what I'd usually be. What's the expectation in terms of sales outcome if that's how your salespeople are showing up? Yeah. <clears throat> I think that the, the biggest challenge for that is as being a manager, how involved are you with those salespeople? Yeah. Yeah. First thing is, look, salespeople live or die by their numbers. Yep. 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 <clears throat> I understand about call reporting. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of it mm-hmm. because I'm a fan. I, I, I solemnly believe in trust. Yep. And being able to look someone in the eye and say, mate, I'm giving it the best crack I can. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And going like, okay, you can tell me that. You can look me straight in the eye and you can tell me that. Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. you're sure. Yeah. Yeah. And you're consistent and that it's not an excuse for other things that aren't happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but I believe, yeah, um, while it's important for measurement, and as I said, your figures, your mm-hmm. end of month figures and your yearly figures. Mm-hmm. And I'd, it's... I know it's hard, again, in having to forecast for businesses about the highs and lows, mm-hmm. but I say always I've focused on the end game. Yep. So if we commit to a number at the end of that year, yep. that's the number we're going for regardless of all the little humps and bumps and lumps along the way, yeah, right. and that's a minimum expectation. Yep. Yep. So the number that we agree on yep. is the minimum expectation. If we can push that and blow that out of the water, then happy days, boys. Yeah, right. Yeah. And that's a sign of a good sales team. Yeah, yeah, of guys that are in there and are committed. Yeah, and you know you get you're going to get a lot of knockbacks along the way. Yeah, especially in our business, there's things that are in the pipeline, and that pipeline sometimes dries up a little bit or gets deferred or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's also about developing new leads and making sure you know. And that's what I sort of said to you about <clears throat> that whole thing about that eighty twenty sales rule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. when twenty percent of your customers are delivering eighty percent of your turnover, you're always going to be vulnerable. Yeah. Yep. And that's also about your leads and all those other things as well, you know. But it's also being realistic. If you're trying to get guys to do 10 sales calls a day mm-hmm. and you want them done every day, mm-hmm. about, okay, when are they going to spend their development time? And it's also about a work-life balance. And I think businesses that offer that, and especially now, and I think that's that's really come out of COVID, yep. that work, work-life balance that comes out of people working from home. Yeah. The last business, I've just started in a new business now. I've been six months into it because after 25 years of doing corporate contracts and managing teams of people, I got to the stage, I just don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. So I've started in a new business and I'm helping them um, just develop the systems that they've got. I'm not yep. doing the, te- the front-to-front tenders anymore. Yeah. Although my boss is on holidays at the moment and I'm stepped in and I'm managing the team and I'm doing tenders again. So, yeah, <laughs> But yeah. it is only for six weeks. So that's okay. Yeah. And God love this. The guy that I work with is a brilliant guy and I'm, yeah, he hasn't had a holiday in three years so I'm glad yeah. to be able to help him out. Um, it's just, it's really, really important to... Um, to give people the opportunity to make those choices along the way and have mm-hmm. some sort of flexibility. So if it's you want them to work in the office, provided they can, you can manage the business, if they want to start a bit earlier mm-hmm. and go home a bit earlier mm-hmm. or start a bit later, we have to be more flexible than that. Yeah. Or if, like with one guy, with one, especially with... Um, any family, you know, it can't happen every single day. Mm-hmm. But I've got a family emergency here, you know, mm-hmm. I need, yeah. 
allow those sort of things to happen don't necessarily make people take a day's leave or all yeah. those other things along the way. Yeah, yeah. But don't let people abuse it. And as yeah. I said to I say to everyone, especially in this when I've stepped up at the moment, don't ever mistake my niceness for weakness. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> because if the mongrel has to come out, trust me, he can come <laughs> out. <laughs> well, actually, one of the things that I appreciate is that if you if you are dealing with someone who is always a wolf and you always know he's going to bite you, it's like the boy who cries wolf. You're not actually scared of that person yeah. anymore. But if they're usually a nice person yeah. and the claws come out, mm-hmm. ooh, mm-hmm. hang on, yeah. there's a problem here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's not about, you know, I don't, I'm not, I don't sort of, yeah. I've got in the situation I've got now. I've got a couple of blokes yep. that are excuse my language are probably taking the piss a little no, bit. No, you're right. Now. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. right. <laughs> uh, they're coming in a bit, quite a bit later now. Yeah, and they're you know a bit not doing what they're meant to be doing. And yep. yeah, and I go like, okay, boys, <clears throat> and I go to them every day now. What are we doing today? Yeah, tell me what you're doing. Yeah. Whereas I I tend to give people tasks. Yeah, yeah. And say, so let me know how you're going. Yeah. But if you want me to micromanage you, trust me, I can micromanage oh, yeah. you. Yeah. If it needs to happen, it'll yeah. happen. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think that's they get the message pretty quickly. Yeah. Because I say, well, you said you were going to finish this yesterday and it's not done. And yeah. you've got, you're doing this other stuff today. What was the hold up yesterday? Yeah. Oh, no. Well, I thought, okay, good. So it's all going to be done today? Great. That's okay. Like, really. And don't make a big song and dance about it. I don't sort of. I don't, would never humiliate someone in front of anyone else. That's not the way to go. Yeah. You don't have to give anyone a public flogging. Yeah. And I think that's a sign. That's really the sign of bad leadership. Yeah. When you do that sort of crap. Well, that's the sort of thing where you, where you're almost needing to look powerful in front of other people, and that makes you actually look weak. If you if you're actually having to make yourself look powerful in yeah. front of other people, yeah. for the sake of giving someone a beating in front of everyone yeah. else. That's when you know that there's actually a problem here, because mm-hmm. the the strong person would have taken them aside mm-hmm. and said, "Mate, this, this is not good enough." Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and they and they would have known after mm-hmm. that yep. that you were telling them the truth. Yep. And I guess we've spoken about starting in sales, becoming a manager in sales, being in that business, coming in, having leadership change, and decide that you're all going to work from home. Speaking about um, managing people and, and setting expectations, what about the fun over the years? Looking after clients and taking them out on an wow. enjoyable nights and lunches. And <laughs> well, dare I say the fun police have come in these days. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we've got du- things like duty of care now. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, you've just got to be, yeah. Um. You've got to be careful in the way you do things now. Yeah. But look, I've, I've been probably pretty lucky. I've got, because of the clientele that I've dealt with, a lot of it is, especially the last 25 odd years, has been more senior procurement people. Yeah. While I do get involved with people at ground level, mm-hmm. my main focus is all about being doing the bigger deals and doing the main contract stuff and making sure we're adhering to KPIs and developing all those other systems along the way and, and building and finding new ways to expand that business that we've currently got. Mm-hmm. So we've been a bit more refined in the way we do, so we don't necessarily have to turn into the, turn it into a pig pen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we've had a few people that have done that along the way. No, it's been great. I've met you know I met so many beautiful. And I can really say I've met some really good mates who are still good mates now. 
Yeah. Um, I've been, I've all, I learned very early in my sales career in South Africa about mixing business with pleasure. Yeah. And business with personal life. Yeah. And it turned it again, excuse my language, shit very quickly. Yeah. And there was a life lesson to learn in that really quick. Yeah, yeah. So I've been very, very clear. As I said, I have my work and then I have my personal life. And very, very few people I allow into that personal space. Yeah. And I'm probably lucky because I'm a Gemini. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so there's a business pool. Yeah. And there's a private pool. Yeah. And when, especially when you're in that business environment, you got to... I think I've always been reasonably consistent about yeah. who I am and what I am. Yeah, there's been some times where I got a little bit sloppy. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, that's, that's you, when none of us are perfect. Yeah. But, and I've, there's been some times when I've, I've been out at functions, I go, I don't want to talk to anyone anymore. Yeah. But you've yeah. got to try and find a way to do it, or you exit a bit quickly, or something like that along the way. Mm. But I always say, again, if you don't like it, get in, start, get in, get on with it, or get out. Yeah, yeah. And you can't be half in, half out. Yeah. Because especially in sales, as you were talking before, when you've got poor performers in your team, if they're only half in, you've got a problem. Yeah. Because then the customers see you're only half in too. Yeah. And they're going like, these guys aren't committed. Some so right, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> are they are they going to give us the right outcome when it all gets hard with us and we might have a problem or something like that? How involved are they or how willing are they wanting to be to, yeah, to get us to the next level where we need to be or, yeah, come to the party and do all those other things along the way? Yeah. And we've spoken about, managing sales teams, hitting sales expectations. Obviously, all the time you're doing this business life, you've also got a life outside of it. Mm-hmm. And as I can fully appreciate, there's ups and downs in that time. Is there anything you can share about like being an effective sales leader and, and leading a family and yeah. sort of going through everything like that? Yeah. I've got two sons and a daughter. Um my both sons, one my older son's a school teacher. Yep. And my uh, other son, Murray, mm-hmm. he's a diesel fitter. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> so, like, talk about chalk and cheese. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and then I have my beautiful daughter. Yeah. And my beautiful daughter suffers with bipolar and borderline. Mm-hmm. And we've had an incredible mental health journey with her. Yeah. She's just turned 30. Mm-hmm. Um, from 14 years old, she started self-harming. Yeah. And... It got that bad. We thought we were going to bury her for her 21st birthday. We never thought she would ever get to 21. Mm. Um, she's a beautiful soul. You know, she doesn't drink. She doesn't smoke. She doesn't do drugs. But she just has this incredible, horrible mental health journey. Yeah. Um, and for me, over the years, it's about being, um, when you apply it back to work, it's about just trying to find a way to fix it because yeah. I can't fix her. Yeah. It wasn't something that happened in the family or anything like that. It was an external thing that happened to her when yeah. she was a young person outside yeah. of our control and everyone's control. But we've had to, and that only surfaced many years later. Yeah, yeah. And we've had to deal with that along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so the thing is, you know, it's about, okay, work harder, earn more money. Yep. Because then that way you can go to the best private hospitals and the best psychologists and the yep. best health retreats and do everything along the way. And um, because you can't stop it, you can't stop when she decides she's going to um, 
cut herself up or do those other things along the way. Yeah. You can't stop that. And as being a sales guy, and as being a sales guy, you know, like we sit down and we do our budgets every year and, yeah, we go like, yeah, 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 you know, and we're going to build ourselves up and, yeah, bigger, stronger thing. Yeah. And um, get to your personal life and go back and <clears throat> all I want is next year to be different or I just want her to stop hurting yourself yeah and that's just out of our control and it just you get to that point of desperation where you know you do anything yeah to try and turn that situation around and it's just you know from being so in control of your work life to coming back into your personal life and being able not able to and i use the word control yeah the outcomes and it's not being a controlling father no but it's just to go like why can't you find a way past this? You know, we've got all these people that are trying to help you and all those things and they just sort of, in the end, they give up and they say, we can't do anything more for your daughter. She's got to make that conscious change to change herself. Yeah. And that's probably been one of the biggest challenges of my life. It put an incredible pressure on my marriage. Yeah. Um, and I won't say for any that that broke our marriage, not at all, because <clears throat> there were other, a few other issues. Yeah. Um, in, 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 in my marriage but you know it was just it was just an incredibly hard time yeah and still to this day I'm, I said I've been divorced nearly seven six seven years now yeah um, I still try and keep as close contact as I can with my daughter but I've got I've got her jobs over the years but she can't hold down a full-time job yeah um, she's still in and out of um hospital and mental health wards at this particular time but just something at least now the frequency of all that self-harming has, has slowed down a bit yeah it's not as bad as we do and i've just got to yeah hand over and go like okay well she's 30 now yeah you know they said to us we thought well, she was never going to make it past 21 mm-hmm. so that's a beautiful gift in itself yeah and when i see her you know she has uh, an incredible spirit if she was sitting here at this on this couch with you and I right now and she was having a conversation you'd have the most incredible conversation with her really yeah you wouldn't you would not unless you looked at her arms and her throat and everything else where she the scars of where she's just cut herself so many times and so horrible you never think this how is this beautiful young woman troubled yeah but she's incredibly troubled yeah right yeah and it's interesting like the I've got no idea what it's like to be the father of a, a woman who's troubled or a man that's troubled in that situation, but I can probably appreciate that if you've got a salesperson that you're looking after who's showing up every now and then, not like himself or herself, you can probably appreciate that it could get reasonably bad. Yeah. Because you know, otherwise you would never know that it could, yeah. could get like that. Yeah, I think... Again, and that's sort of part of that thing about being. Um, I had an, uh, for the, uh, the I spent twenty years in, in a particular company, mm-hmm. and that was uh, with. And I had one guy who's still an incredibly close friend of mine right now. Mm-hmm. He was two years. He's a year younger than me, mm-hmm. um, and we took a business from six combined with a whole group of other people yeah. but I was part of the leadership team we took a business from 68 million to um, 320 million mm-hmm. in 19 years and he was the main person yeah 
and he I learned that from him yeah yeah about being an incredible leader yep bit of a tragic in his personal life yeah but an incredible businessman but just an incredibly good bloke yeah and very personable yeah and he you know he never pulled rank on anyone except when he you know when he, when he really had to yeah but he was just a good bloke yeah yeah and he had a, a very human side to him yeah and for me and working with him I think our, our values aligned a lot yeah and when you work in that sort of team, and it's a high-pressure team, it's all about management and performance, mm-hmm. as you would well aware, to mm-hmm. take a business from from the size that it was to where, to where it finished up yeah. is an incredible result. Yeah. But it's an incredibly challenging thing to do, and we had just such a great... We developed a great team mm-hmm. of guys, mm-hmm. and just everyone, you know, and, and it's such a competitive environment. Yeah. But we had all the guys working on the same page, yeah. and everyone in that team. Yeah, we felt like when we used to go out on the grog and have our social things, we were we were just good mates together. You know, what I mean, it was Almost just like inc- brothers. Yeah, and that's how it was. Yeah? yeah, and if anyone ever had an issue, generally it was yeah, we you know everyone would bring it up, and you know you could ask when people asked you when I said oh, especially I did corporate contracts and I said we need to do this or I think this is the way we need to do they just say turn around and go like, mate you make that call mm-hmm. because they knew you know and I just say mate I, I, I need you to make a call on the margins for this particular job just you tell me what you need to do and I'll do the rest of it for you yeah yeah, yeah it's interesting eh? it um I just as you were talking about that I remember speaking to a mate who recently has gone through some mental health issues yeah. and he likes building cars. Yeah. And he had a guy who was his engine builder mm. who's completely brilliant. Yeah. And certain people who are brilliant and are very detail-oriented are also very hard on themselves. Yeah. And so... While he was a brilliant engine builder, depression was something that always just hung over his head. And so there were times there where he just wasn't available to build the engine for the car. And I remember my mate saying to me, like, this guy, he's just, like, you'd never meet someone else like him. It's just that I can't, I don't know what's going to happen with his mental health. And I I can't, I'd always go into bat for him but every now and then I just won't be able to look after him kind of thing. And yeah, like if you're managing people and if you're working with people, you've got, you've got no idea of the brilliance that someone can bring to the table Mm -hmm. and the demons that they're dealing with at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. There was a time when I was working in that business when I, um, I couldn't talk about what was going on with my daughter. Yeah. And I had a, a beautiful team of ladies that worked with me. And all of a sudden, I'd have to get up and run out of the office because we'd get a call from the police or, yeah, something to say, you know, your daughter's trying to, we found her trying to hang herself or she's cut herself to pieces and she's trying to jump off the side of a building or put herself in front of a train. Yeah. Or escape from the mental health unit. Yeah. It just, and those people were so lovely and so non judgmental. People yeah. calling, yeah. but you know, I felt this 
this incredible shame that I can't talk about this to anyone else along the way. Yeah. And it was just, yeah, I, even through divorce over the last sort of six, six, seven years, I've always, am I going to be a victim or am I going to be a survivor? Yeah. And I, I never take, I, I, I would hope and I firmly believe I've never taken that victim mentality. Yeah. Over the last six years since divorce, I've had to really pick myself up off the ground. I was financially decimated. But, you know, it it came to that situation where I just, I just couldn't keep doing the things that I was doing. You know, I I couldn't keep up working at the level that I was working. Um, My kids had grown up. Yep. I truly stayed in the marriage. My son, both my sons, um, we had a, incredible conversation back in March this year because my middle son got married mm-hmm. um, and my older son and I always had a I won't say a challenging relationship but we always found it I don't, somewhat hard to bond because I, he always felt I favoured everyone else along him uh, rather than him Yeah, and I'm going mate it wasn't that I was just too busy having to do everything else along the way. Yeah. And you were the easy guy. Yeah, yeah. You were just... You were the, the one smart. with no problems, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you were the smart one. You just did, you went in the room, you did your own thing when you were a little bloke, you know, you were just great, like, you know. Yeah. But your brother, who came along, we thought he had ADD. Yeah. Like, he was just incredibly challenging, like, yeah. And when, yeah, they said they wanted to put him on Ritalin and all those sort of things. And again, I fought that. I went, no, I can't, like, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. And I'm so glad I didn't. You know, we finally got her onto some medication. But I, I know in my own life, yeah, I, after I separated from from my ex-wife and the, the divorce was incredibly messy. Yeah. I'd built a big home and I thought this was going to be the transition to retirement. And like everything in my life, okay, just work harder and earn more money. Yep. And that's going to fix it. Yep. And I got to that stage where I just can't do this shit anymore. Yeah. So I separated I got an apartment, I live with my daughter. She still kept self-harming and I got myself to that stage where I went, I just can't do this shit anymore. And I was going to attempt to take my life and jump yeah. off the 11th floor balcony. And I said the only thing that stopped me along the way was that, um, especially my, my sons, what would they think about their father? He's just a dead set loser. And then secondly about my daughter, um, how she, could she ever come back here, even if she did? I stopped, I got some help along the way. Um, I've probably been a, a, a reasonably big drinker, I mean, because of the environment that I was in. Yeah. But also I got I got super healthy. I dropped 25 kilos. Yeah. I focused on exercise and I focused on me and trying quality of life and improve those other things along the way. Yeah. And that didn't help, help me incredibly with my mental health journey. To be fair, though, like you, do you know, like you you're reasonably old school, like you mentioned. You you don't necessarily like taking Panadol if you yeah. if you've got a headache kind of thing. Like you, things aren't going well. I could expect that it's unlikely you're going to talk to anyone about it. Yeah, and that's what it was. I just yeah, I went and saw a psychologist along the way, and a lot of it come back to. I had a few sessions with him, and you know, without going into all the details of that, he said, you know, what you and your ex-wife have been through is would would probably have killed a lot of people. Do you, broken you're a broken people. Yeah, broken along, people. Along, along yeah. the way. Yeah. But as I said to you, the only reason I didn't, you know, there were times when I wanted to leave earlier in the relationship. But as I said along the way, I, I never thought 
I didn't want someone else to bring up my kids. Yeah. And I really, I said to the boys you know, um, back in March this year, like, Dad, why did you stay with Mum for that long a period of time? Because we could see things weren't right. Yeah. I said, well, first of all, it was about you guys. I didn't want someone else to bring up you guys. Yeah. I thought, in amongst all my dysfunctionality and all the other things along the way, I thought I could do it. And then with your, with your sister uh, being in her challenge with her going on, I couldn't leave that time anyway. Yeah. You know, because it was just, yeah, I just couldn't do it. I have a, my uncle um, married my dad's sister and they now have two boys and somewhere along the line, my auntie got diagnosed um, with schizophrenia Yeah, and my uncle Kev had been to Vietnam and my dad to this day is like, he, he stayed with Auntie Mark, like my sister, regardless of what she was going through, what it was like for the boys. He stayed and he ended up dying of cancer a little bit later. But my dad always had this respect for Uncle Kev that he, like, regardless of how hard it got in that situation and I don't know how it, how it went for everyone, but he was there was no there was no exit. It was like, oh no, this is this is how it is. I'm going to deal with this, and we're going to work it out. And yeah, like it's maybe it's just the that old school mentality. It's just like if it gets hard, I'm going to get tougher, yeah. and I'm going to work through it. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. Um, times are different now too you know it's about I came from a, um, a alcoholic dysfunctional family back in the day yeah so I mean it was sort of whether it was in the gene pool or whatever it was yeah but my father was horrible to my mother and my older brother and you know <clears throat> while he never actually really beat us or anything like that he was just incredibly abusive yeah. especially the more he used to drink. And then when he'd stop drinking, he'd lay on the floor and just read books all the time. You're like... Read books? Yeah, read anything. And to this day, I do corporate contracts. And I've got to read in my, in my private time. I hate reading. Because I'm like, I don't want to read it. Yeah. And it was just... <clears throat> yeah, I just... And that's what I sort of said to you about... Yeah, and my, my folks were married 24 years. And for me, I was, was sort of like a badge of honour. Yeah. Yeah, being married for 34 years. Yep. And I take my hat off to beautiful people that have been together in relationships for 40 years. That's incredible sacrifice. Mm-hmm. But I've got to tell you, one of the things, I took long service leave back in 2019. And I did a, um, I've got a, a four-wheel drive and a caravan. Yep. And I did a three-month trip around the Kimberley and Northern Territory. Yeah, nice. And the number of, um, dare I say, grade nomads or whatever, they're out there. And I guarantee... <laughs> whether it was 30 or 40% of them are out there and they don't like each other. Yeah. Or one wants to go home and one wants to stay and one wants to do someone else or they sit there and they criticise each other and it's just terrible. Yeah. And it's just, they won't walk away because of the reality. Well, what are we going to do financially? Either one, I don't want to be by myself. Yeah. Or number two, what are we going to do financially? Yeah. And I think 
with my generation, that's probably a fair bit of the things that keeps people still married. Mm. They don't want to be by themselves, number one, and they can't face the financial reality of it. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying I have anything special, but I've had to. Yeah. Yeah, and my financial station, situation at my age now is not good. But then I've got a life, and would I change it for anything? I wouldn't do that. But and it, I've gone like, yeah. This is the thing, like, you, as I said to you earlier, you've, you've obviously you started out, you came from South Africa, maybe you didn't feel like you had as much money as you'd like, but you worked really hard. You're managing salespeople, you're in good industries, you're doing well. Really, if you'd all stayed together, like it's likely that your financial situation would have been completely fine. Hmm. It's just that you had a divorce. Hmm. You know, and unfortunately the divorce was difficult financially. Yeah. And and but there's no way that you you could have otherwise prepared for that. You know, like you you, you wouldn't otherwise have just known that that was going to happen and made more money and maybe you've made as much money because possibly could anyway oh yeah i changed jobs and i'm earning half the salary that i used to but then i got a quarter of the pressure that i used to have yeah and and for that i'm just thankful and for now i've stepped into a lesser role um but I've got a short-term assignment in the business that I'm in while managing a team of people again, and I'm doing tenders. But it is only for six weeks, and I'm just helping out the guy who's my boss, who is a lovely bloke. He hasn't had a holiday in three years. So, yeah. yeah. But I know it's come along at this particular time because I stepped away, and I stepped into this job to step away from all that. Yeah. But I keep asking myself what's holding me back. I have another plan of something that I've really wanted to do, mm-hmm. and that's get out and go bush. Yeah, right. yeah, and work in the bush and do those other things. I'm a tradie. I've got a caravan. I own it. Yeah, I've got some cash in the bank and a little bit of super. But I just want to go and yeah, do some life. I've just come out of a, um, a, a, a breakup after being two years with an absolutely beautiful human being. Yep. And maybe this has all come together for a reason. Yeah. Um, and stepping back into this contract role, managing people for... Um, six weeks and doing tenders again I'm going oh why am I doing this so. but I think this is the thing too like you there is there is the possibility that you'd built such a strong shell around yourself to manage whatever it was you were going through at the time that you just didn't realise that it was painful or difficult and you stepped away from it for a little while you've done something else that might have been easier and you've come back into a similar role and you've gone this is awful. This is more awful than I ever remember it to be. But maybe at that time when you were doing that job, you'd just gotten used to it. It's like the it's like the frog that's in the water and the water's getting boiled. Yeah. Like, you know, while it's getting boiled, the, the frog just get, gets used to it until suddenly it dies. Yeah. 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 And that's pressure. You just continue to deal with it and deal with it and deal with it and deal with it. I mean, you just, you become accustomed to it. You know, it's a bit like, say, yeah, living living in the tropics and then all of a sudden moving to the South Pole. Like, holy yeah. God, it's really, it's a big shock. And like, it, how, do you, how do you adjust to that? Because you've had, you just become so accustomed. And I call it being on the treadmill. Yeah. I just keep going and going and going. Yeah. You know, 20 years of growth in a business, like, you know, at, at just such a big pace, like, you know, we're not there to muck around. You know, you're there to do a job. And as I said to you, you you're, you're either 120, not even 100, you're 120% in or not. And that's the way I've always been with everything that I've done. Yeah. Like, give it your best crack, mate. Otherwise, get out of it. Like, yeah. yeah. And that's, yeah. And I just, 
I, I feel at this particular time in my life journey, you know, I'm, I'm still in pretty good health for, for my age. Um, I don't look my age too much, so that's probably a bit of a bonus too. Certainly drink, certainly drink too much on weekends, <laughs> but go like, are you an idiot? Just go home. And I go, no, I don't want to go home. <laughs> but, you know, I have an incredible, I've met some incredible people. And I said, you know, it's one of the great things about meet up and beers with mates. Yeah. You just meet so many lovely people. And just on that, so you've you've had a great career. You've had a, a marriage. You've got kids. Yeah. had a divorce. You've had six or seven years to do your own thing after the divorce. Yep. Walk me through whatever you like, highlights, lowlights. What are some of the things you've learnt in the last seven years that you just couldn't have learned while you're otherwise in a marriage and looking after kids? Okay. I always use the analogy, and I say it to some, some people now that I believe it's the situation in their life. Doing all those things over over that long period of time, I was always sitting in the back seat of the bus. Yep. My life was being driven by deadlines through work. Yep. And then, or dare I say, family commitments and deadlines and all the other things with family along the way. Yep. So I I just got lost, and that's mm-hmm. what I said. That's what I got to that point where I said to my ex-wife, "I just I just want time out." Yep. This is not a. I wasn't talking divorce or anything like that. I just need time out to find out who I am. Yep. Yeah, you, and, you'd and forgotten I, who you were. Yeah, I got lost totally. Yeah. Yep. And that, but but to boot with that, it wasn't like I was just going to go out and re-sow all my seeds, do another thing. I was living with my daughter. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't like you know I had a plan for go off and do all those things that maybe older people do. Yeah, mm-hmm. when they get separated, I, mm-hmm. I, I'm not like that. Yeah, yeah. I am not like that. Yeah. And I just go. Yeah, so I saw, and I, I found now the last couple of years, especially yeah, I'm in control of, of my destiny. Yep. I am in control of the things I do, and I can't blame other people for anything. Yep. I do have, I've learned, it's it's this fine line between resentment and letting go, mm-hmm. and also feeling grief and loss, mm-hmm. and that sort of resentment, feeling loss and grief sort of, rolls into one sometimes it's hard to separate mm-hmm. what am I actually feeling mm-hmm. but I feel now more than ever that my my physical exercise is really important to my mental health yeah so generally I don't drink at all during the week yeah I focus on exercise I've actually started doing mindfulness and some other strategies along the way mm-hmm. I've even taken up dancing which yeah, I love nice. it's just such a beautiful thing yeah 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 and it's just all those things you know, and every night of the week I'm busy now doing something awesome and uh, and then come the weekend, like, yeah, that's time to kick back, go to meetups, go out with friends, do those other things along the way. Even just have time out with my kids, you know, be like present, like go out to my son's place and I've got a beautiful granddaughter. Yeah. Spend time with them. A couple of weeks ago, my son and my beautiful granddaughter and myself went camping for the weekend out at Bow Desert, which was awesome. really lovely. Yeah. Yeah, Sleeping yeah. in swags. Yeah, nice. Yeah. And that's me. We just had a campfire. Yep. It was so bloody cold though, Chris. It was 2 yeah, degrees yeah. at night. <laughs> <laughs> Even with a couple of beers in and the fire going, my yeah, God, yeah. it was still freezing. Yeah. But that's me. I love that just to get away. I, I caught, you know, I pay an arm and a leg for the apartment that I live in in Brisbane now. I live yep. on the river, overlooking the river. Yeah. But I call it the price of sanity. Yep. I could definitely go and live somewhere else and pay cheaper rent and all those sort of things along the way because I can't afford to buy a property. 
Yeah, yeah. But I go like, what? One of the things I've really learned over the last couple of years is trying to be present. Yeah. Live for right now. Yeah, yeah. And count your blessings every day. And I mean that really not as a wishy-washy thing. Absolutely, I get up every morning and like everyone else, oh, yeah, get. But I just take a couple of moments out to go and stand out on my balcony and overlook things and just go like, thank you for what I have today. Yeah. Number one, thank you for my health. Yeah. Yeah, because that's most important. Mm-hmm. Thank you for my job, you know. Thank you for my beautiful family and my friends that I have in my life and things like that. And just try and focus on those things. But then you get back in the traffic and you start shouting and swearing everyone, so it disappears pretty quickly. But you know what I mean? It's just and trying to then focus on the things that are really important. And also, I'm pretty fussy about what I eat during the week. I try and stay away from crap food as much as I can and do all those other things. And I think in turn that all helps my mental health. And I'm the first one who don't. You know, I've never taken medication in my life. And then after this breakup with this beautiful person um, a couple of months ago, I thought, I, I can't. I was going down that spiral yeah. that I felt from when I first separated. As I said, when I first contemplated taking my life back in 2017, yeah. I thought, I'm going down the spiral again. And it was just, and I, yeah, so I reached out to my doctor and got some medication and yeah, um, got back into it again. And I'm sort of, I'm still getting over that now, that, over that journey, because that was just, a, I've never met someone met someone who was so beautiful and just so spiritually aligned yeah I think that's the difference when you get to my age too you're not about I use the word not, not about sex and trashy trashy sort of relationships and all that sort of thing I don't it's not about marrying someone yeah but it's about just having a beautiful soulful respectful relationship yeah and being respectful is one of the things I and I don't want to sound like oh yeah I'm blown wind up my own butt but I've always considered, I've, I've, I've always tried to be respectful mm-hmm. to people along the way. Yeah. And that's like when you go to meet up and all those things, then you, be respectful to everybody unless they, they're doing something that, you know, needs pushback and go, you, well, you don't, maybe don't deserve respect. So just walk away from them. Yeah. But just be respectful to as many people as you can. I think, as I said, right back at the start, that random act of kindness. Yeah that you can give to someone and I've had people give that to me along the way mm. yeah and just having you know like me only catching up with you the other last Friday night yeah I had a decision whether I was going to go to meet up with you with beers with mates or I was yeah. going to go to a show at <laughs> down at uh, the Trifford or somewhere else and I thought no I haven't caught up with Chris for ages yeah thank you and I went like yeah and we're chatting here tonight because of it I, know, I think like, the I think the the great thing is for beers with mates and maybe people have never been to a meetup or yeah. something along those lines but you can go and see a therapist or you can hang out with your friends or whatever but if you're speaking to someone that you don't really know that well mm. you actually can say whatever mm. and hope that they respect you and yep. you have a good conversation or whatever but you you can kind of walk away having said anything and, and almost felt like you're not being judged. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think I think that's for a lot of people. Like people who come to beers with mates, quite often they've been through a breakup or yep. they've, yep. you know, moved from a new city or they've yep. something have gone on. And for a lot of people, they just have conversations which, like, are just great at the time. Yeah. Which they can just walk away from and not be concerned that they said something wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I think most people don't sort of bleed their hearts out. Yeah. But people are just sort of saying what's on their mind. Yeah. And I think, again, that, that 
present. That that's those random acts of kindness, you know. Yeah. You don't know by you just stopping saying nothing yeah. and letting this person say or offload what they need to offload. Yeah. Yeah. Provided again that's within boundaries too yeah, of what yeah. they're offloading. Yeah. But generally they just want to have a chat. Yeah. And a lot of, I've noticed it particularly with a lot of ladies as well, I think, more than blokes. Blokes just won't go, yeah, right, they rough and scruff and they do what they do. Ladies are quite cautious along the line. Yeah. And a lot of them put up very hard fronts like, yeah, don't come near me and all that sort of thing. And you really realise once you sort of, you crack that armour, that they've all got a story behind that and yeah. the reason they are what they are. And then if you can just sort of see past that and be respectful yeah, and go like, You've had a hard trot. You've had a rough trot, or you're all, you're also putting the yeah. I actually like part of the reason that I run meetups, or part of the reason that I have a podcast, is because everyone's got a story, and the only reason you like the only way you're going to hear that story is if you're open to asking a couple of questions and letting someone talk. Yeah, and it's all well and good that you talk and you tell someone an exciting story and you feel like you impress someone and that's all well and good but for you to just sit back and listen for 10 minutes 30 minutes an hour two hours you've got no idea what's going to happen or what you're going to learn or who that person is or how they're going to affect you and that is a gift absolutely that is such a precious gift yeah and i think what it actually does it it just it gives you maybe another perspective on things yeah yeah and I think, you know, we can all become very set in our ways about how we view things and how we see things. Yeah. And things can tend to be vile. We think, oh, yeah, no, we're flexible. But really, we're actually quite black and white about a lot of things. Yeah. And, yeah, <clears throat> understanding yeah, some other people's journey along the way. And it's, it's, not, it's not bleeding your heart out. And the same as I don't tell everyone about my mental health journey. In fact, I'll probably send more on this podcast with you right now this discussion now that i that i would ever let out in a public domain yeah, yeah. and i know yeah it, it'll be but it's about i've learned in my life now that in the right environment if i can share my story with a few other people on the way and especially with blokes yeah yeah that guys it's just it is a tough road and you don't have to necessarily we, we all try and be bulletproof yeah but i think the more and more Blokes learn to, dare I say, get another human aspect about them, themselves and soften up a little bit. Yeah, it's not a it's not a sign of weakness, no. but it's just like you know we need, and that's I think that's the newer generation of guys. Like I know both my sons yeah. are just like that. Yeah, they're, they're big blokes. Yeah, and they come up, oh, but they are they are just like I call them jelly babies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> uh, they got they got hearts of gold and they are beautiful kind blokes and a lot of the, even through business you see a lot of them yeah they're just and it, we meet them through meetup yeah i actually like the thank you for sharing by the way and and yeah like it is i'm really thankful to be able to have a podcast and for people to be able to tell a story and for you to be really open and i'm sure that will be very helpful for people but i think the biggest thing is like for me I moved to Canada and I met a, a lot of really, really lovely, sensitive men who were just like completely different to the men that I've met before. And I learned something from that. Yeah. 
and I I maybe also became a little bit too sensitive at the time and I need to like pull myself back a bit and, and be it's kind of like the, the bloke that I'd grown up as being. But having gone through that and learned from so many amazing people, I had a model for what someone could be like. And had I not met some of the great people that I met in Toronto, I would never have seen a guy and gone, oh my God, like this guy has got all these amazing skills that I'd love to have. And it's something I've never known about before. And I do think that slowly, as men, we're learning that you can be the big, tough, rough and tumble guy and be sensitive. And actually, it's easy if you're the big, tough, rough and tumble guy to also show up sensitive because people are like, wow, that guy was like that. Do you know, like it's it's like... If you want to be really tough, then it's easier for you to be a little bit soft because yeah. people will give you a lot of rope. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, so just because you just because you're that tough guy who is a great fighter, or a great footy player, or a great whatever, like that actually makes it easier for you to be a loving, caring, sensitive guy because mm-hmm. people are not going to second guess you. Yeah. If you're like, if you've always been the loving, caring, sensitive guy and you may be not a big guy, people kind of expect that. At the same time, there's nothing to say that like maybe you don't take up some sort of skill or sport. And BJJ is one that a lot of people are now taking up where maybe they're not a big guy, but they're really good at learning. And over like a five or 10 year period, it doesn't need to take that long they can be really tough. And I've got a mate of mine who um, has a family who are all good at sport and he had some issues growing up, which meant that he was really strong. We always respected him as being tough, but there were some issues that stopped him from being really good at sport. And then he got into BJJ and because he's wicked smart, I would I like I remember rolling with him when he first started out at BJJ and he dislocated my shoulder and I was like, Bro, it's it's a problem. Like you're gonna dislocate it. And and he's like, Yeah, yeah, we're good. And then and then he just popped his hips up and pulled my shoulder out. I was like, I told you it's gonna happen. And he was like, Oh bro, I'm really sorry about that. I never would do that anymore. Like that's not how it works. And if someone did that on the, on the mat, I'd be really upset with them. But but yeah, like there are certainly avenues where people, like maybe if they've started out being really sensitive, yeah. there are ways that they can develop the other side of themselves. So, so yeah. maybe they feel more rounded. But the biggest thing for me is that if you've, if you're, if you've always been that tough, strong guy, um, there's only something to gain from developing a more sensitive side mm-hmm. as well. Would you agree? Yeah, I think I think when you can do that, you actually start to learn a lot more about yourself. Because I think of being the big tough guy all the time, you suppress a lot. Yeah, yeah. You don't really. You think you feel, but you don't really feel. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you allow, you allow yourself to be vulnerable. Yeah, yeah. And that's a that's that's a challenge for a lot of men. That's yeah. a challenge for me for a long time. Yeah. Because with vulnerability comes trust. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then 
people find it hard to trust and therefore they won't be vulnerable, won't allow themselves to be vulnerable. Yeah. But when you allow yourself you know, to, to do either of those things, and again, you know, um, there's something incredible. You know, as I said, you know, I've just had a come out of a two-year relationship with just such a beautiful soul and that trust and that vulnerability um, I learned so much from her mm. yeah just so so much from this beautiful beautiful person mm. um, but sadly it, it, it didn't continue but the takeaway from me was that overall it was an incredible experience and it's allowed me to um, yeah to learn more about myself yeah and probably if you had asked me a couple of years ago to sit down and do this, what we're doing now, I would never have done it. But I sort of feel comfortable enough now where I'm in a controlled environment. Yeah, I do what I do. And I just, I, I think I'm on a, my journey is now is that I'm, you know, a fair way down the track. And while I've spent a lot of time, as I said, in managing and developing sales teams, mm-hmm. it's all about being the business. And yeah, I think now if I can actually now that I've sort of focused more on being a... Uh, I went through my whole life and said all I wanted to do is be a half-decent human being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My daughter, a year and a half ago, said to me, Dad, why do you keep saying that? You're a great bloke. Yeah, You're yeah. such a beautiful person. I went, but I never believed her. But yeah. I got to that stage, and it's not being conceited when you say that. Yeah. But I'm actually, yeah, I am. You know, I've done a lot of work on myself. I'm still doing work on myself. I yeah. know I'm not perfect, not by a long shot. When you say the takeaways of, of where I am right now in my life, I think I've come so far in my journey, my personal journey. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of things that I, if I had have had the time again, I would have done them differently, but that door's gone now. So all I can do is focus on the future and, yeah. and be present. And then yeah. if someone wants to listen along the way, someone younger or someone that just say, hey, just stop and think about what your journey is now and don't wait till you get to my age to you know to start changing your life yeah because yeah i think the earlier you do it the the better off you'll be and it just gives you a more fulfilling life you know it really does well paul to be fair i'm just under 40 turn 38 next month i have a podcast because i get to learn from people like yourself and there's so much that I can learn. I work in sales. You've had a career similar to mine over time. You've managed people. You've had some great relationships. I know people that you've dated previously. They're great people. Um, and you get to share this wisdom with people. You know, like at the start, this podcast was called Aussie Wisdom because I, that was my goal to learn from Australians with wisdom. And then it became Brisbane Wisdom because my focus was closer to Brisbane and then I just called it Ando and Co. But it's still the same thing. My goal is still the same. I want to speak with Aussies or people in Brisbane or wherever who are going to teach me something. And so, like, regardless of how you feel about, you know, being a half-great guy or whatever, like, it's not the case. Like, I've had opportunities to hang out with you a lot of beers with mates. You are a great guy. Like, your, your daughter says you're a great guy. I could yeah. completely agree with that. Of course. And I've had the opportunity to sit here and learn from you yeah. for the last 
hour and a half now. Oh, well, I'll stop talking. And, <laughs> and so, um, yeah, like, as I said, like, I don't, I don't know what you looked like when you were younger. We haven't spoken about the sports you played. I don't know how macho you felt. But I know who you are as a person right now, and I really appreciate the time we've been able to spend together. And I've been able to learn a lot from you, and I'm sure that we'll keep growing and learning together yeah. along the way. Thank you, Chris. It's been my pleasure and my honour, mate. You're a great young bloke. And, you know, as I said to you, you just, you know, you've got an incredible insight and, and wisdom for someone who's just not turned 40 yet or just turning <laughs> 40 or whatever it is. Thank you, mate. And, but, you, you know, and as I said, you know, you just, the, the more things like this that you do and a lot of other people like you do along the way, you know, it only just helps generations of other people coming up younger people coming up and going like yeah you don't have to be like the part of the you know the past has been you can change your your destiny and you can change you know those sort of things and the power of change is really in the hands of everybody circumstances will dictate but certainly you can do you can do changes in self i um i never ever thought that i would get a tattoo and in the last couple of years i got I got a tattoo on my on my of the inner side of my bicep, my right <laughs> my right arm, mm. and it says hope. Yeah, and and I realise that over time there have been some things that I've done where I maybe didn't take all the risks into account because somewhere along the way I just said in the future everything's going to be fine. Yeah, do you know like I, for some reason. And I, it's something that I can't put my finger on as to why that's logical, but I'm like, something good is coming. See, it's all going to work out. Yeah. And so for me, like, I don't, maybe it's because I have bipolar that I think that way. But for some reason, I'm just like, the, it's, if, if I just do a few good things, yeah. things are going to keep getting better. Yeah. Let's have faith, mate. No, I'm at the same thing, mate. I'm just at such a crossroad now. Yeah. The same things keep recurring and I'm going like, when are you going to listen? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> you're getting these messages. They're coming to you and you're ignoring them. Why are you ignoring them? So maybe next time we have a catch-up, I'll be in a different place and I'll be able to go like, hey, mate, guess what? I've started a whole brand new journey. <laughs> and just, I, I, I don't, it's interesting. I don't, I'd love to wrap this up shortly. Yeah. We've been speaking yeah. for a while. You mentioned messages coming to you. Yeah. We spoke earlier before we started this about yeah. you being reasonably intuitive and maybe earlier in your life you, you weren't open to that kind of thing. How, how has that evolved for you? Well, I think regard, I think people attract each other in their life. Yeah. My first, oh, my one and only wife here yeah, that I've spent 34 years with um, was incredibly psychic. Yep. Yeah, she was just incredibly psychic yeah um and she could read anything and everything mm -hmm. but it, because it was just she was so powerful and dominant in that space i pushed it away i think i always had an element of it mm -hmm. and it just and i just i ignored it mm -hmm. and didn't want anything to do with it so since, since i separated um that part of me has just developed um and just come along and sort of come in leaps and bounds and i'm just i'm surprised at myself I'm very careful and measured in what I say to people. Mm -hmm. For me, I get 
not like I don't read tarot cards or I don't read palms or anything or tea leaves or anything exotic like that. Yeah. I get a lot of messages through music. Yeah. I watch very little TV and I listen to a lot of music. Mm-hmm. Songs and things will, will bring things into my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and I meet people on the way and I, I feel an energy mm-hmm. and I see something within them and I'm not quite sure what it is. Yeah. I'm very careful about how I approach those things and just ask people some in the good old sales way, some probing questions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and feel felt found. It is, to, to be fair, it is a very human skill, the old sales skills, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, and doing that, but yeah, that's it's really come to the fore now. And again, that beautiful two years I had with this lovely person, it just absolutely went off the Richter scale. Yeah. Um, and again, I think everyone has an element of it. It's whether yeah. they choose to tune into it. Um, and, one of the biggest takeaways I've got in my life now is is trust your gut. Yeah. Yeah, and I think a lot of us don't do that. Mm-hmm. We don't do it. We might do it, but we don't do it enough. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, that decision I made not to go ahead with chemotherapy back all those years ago was probably the real start of it. Yeah. Actually, no, it even goes back further than that when I decided I grew up in Sydney and all I want to do is get out of Sydney and go overseas at 21. Yeah. yeah, which were not too many people were doing at that age. Then to go and live in South Africa, I mean, no one went and did that. No, that sounds like a crazy idea. Yeah, I know, like, yeah. yeah, or backpacking around America by yourself or <laughs> go and work on a pommy summer. Yeah. What are you going to do? I'm a electrician. Oh, yeah, I'll just go and drive a bus in Europe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give it a crack. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I just, I've always sort of done that, even through sales. Yeah, like, yeah, just go and push the next boundary. And, yeah. And that's where I sort of him at the, at the at my stage in life now, like, what's the next stage? Yeah, and I, I really don't want to let my past define my future. Yeah. yeah. That's probably a big, you know, I know that sort of sounds a bit wanky, but it's true. Yeah. Yeah, and I really, I don't want to, I don't want to carry the baggage of what I've had from before. No. And, and learning to let go is really important. Yeah. And I think having an element of spirituality can, can, can help you in that space. Mm-hmm. But it's also trusting what you feel, you know, and, and don't, you know, don't, keep suppressing how you feel mm-hmm. I think a lot of people have said about all those people you know the grey nomads yeah, travelling around and they hate each other but they just tolerate it because they suppress how they feel mm-hmm. what a terrible way to finish off your to finish a life journey yeah you know be open and like you just never know what's going to be around the next corner I'm devastated yeah. by the by the loss of this relationship that I'm coming out of now devastated yeah. but I have faith that something else will come out of it yeah and that that'll be an opportunity and whatever that opportunity will be well the you thing know? is like if you were if you're a young salesperson and you've just been selling a product and you've done a really good job and all the clients have been happy with you yeah. and your managers have been happy with you you would have faith that you're going to be able to use all the experiences that you've developed over that period to move into a job bigger and better in the next one. And to be fair, like people, when you meet people, as you say, you attract people that like that based on the situation and and people will know that if they met you two years ago, they may not be as attracted to you as they are right now because yeah. of all the growth and learning you've had over oh, the last yeah. two years. I yeah. have, from my marriage, I don't associate with any of the people that I knew 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And even in my business career, I don't associate, well, not quite a number of them are retired now. Yeah. But those, there's very few people sort of left in that old circle. Yeah. And that's the, you know, at my age, that's one of the, the actual, I think it's a beautiful gift that I've been given. Yeah. To have that opportunity, it's almost like starting all over again. Yeah. But having the knowledge 
I wish I said you know, I don't ever want to go back to be twenty or twenty one. Yeah. But it'd be nice if I had a fair bit of what I know now back then. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but would I have changed my life decisions? I probably not. I don't, no. I don't. I don't regret anything. Yeah. I really, really don't regret anything. Yeah. I just go like, yeah. If I dropped dead tomorrow, I could say I've I've lived life to the max. I've given it a bloody good crack. Yep. I've really pushed the boundaries. Yep. Yeah. And I've I've always tried to go out and just do the right thing. And yeah. I said, all I want to do is be a half-decent bloke. So at this particular point in time, I'm going like, yeah, Billy, you're not a bad bloke at all. <laughs> well, Billy, I think as of yeah. tonight, you've, you've obviously had some hints from other people that you can stop talking about half-decent yeah. and you can talk about being a fully decent yeah, bloke. You, so yeah. I reckon as of tonight, yeah. you're just like, night. you know what? <laughs> Fuck it. I'm a good guy. Yeah. <laughs> all my life, I've just been focused on being a good guy. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for the opportunity. It's been beautiful to talk to you, mate. Take care. Thank you. Appreciate it. Bye-bye.